I am now on Kofi.com, which is a platform that is completely free um, for myself as a podcaster to accept donations, basically. So very, very small donations, as if you were buying me a drink. Um, I think you can donate £4 or you can make up your own donations. Obviously, this takes quite a lot of time, quite a lot of effort, and I love doing it. But sometimes you need a little bit of a financial... uh, what's the word, like a crutch, I suppose. Um, I'm not expecting to make millions and millions of pounds from this, but it would be really awesome if someone could um, sort of help me along the way, I suppose. Obviously, all the money that I earn from this podcast, I put straight back into the podcast, or I actually buy stuff from my sponsors. Um, So yeah, if you fancy that, then it's ko-fi.com. So ko com forward slash Absolute Bedlam Podcast. And only donate if you can donate. Only donate what you can and if you can. I can't express that enough. Um, don't try to give me too much and then ruin yourself financially. That's not what this is about. This is just about me keeping the, uh, the steam in the uh, machine, as I suppose. Yeah, enough waffling. Here's the episode. Hello and welcome to Absolute Bedlam Podcast. When I told people that I was having Wheatus on the podcast, everyone went, what? No way. No. (laughs) Here he is. It's Brendan himself. How's it going, dude? All right, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm really, really good. I'm feeling a little bit imposter syndrome at the moment, but we we move. We've we've just got to keep... You know, stay confident, ask questions, and sometimes you'll get some responses. <laughs> so tell, tell me a little bit about that imposter syndrome thing, because I, I was talking to somebody about that very phenomenon recently. Yeah, it's just that feeling of like, why me? Like, how have I managed, like, not to go into it too much, because it's quite confidential, but some of the workplaces that I've worked at in the 32 years of being alive, I just I feel like I'm part of this tiny little cog do you know what I mean in society and like I just I don't know how I managed to sort of weave myself into these situations but at the same time I'm probably one of the best equipped people to deal with it because I'm quite an extroverted confident outspoken individual so um, I'm not this little nerd in the corner that's scared of everything do you know what I mean right Um, I think I'm quite resilient and I'm quite able to deal with the opportunities that come my way if that makes sense sure I just Um, sometimes wonder how I've managed to assemble this huge community that is absolutely bedlam it's just nuts right well I mean we're all improvising yeah Um, you know yeah uh, we we didn't get a we didn't get a an operator's manual at birth, so we're no, we, I agree. Um, but uh, yeah, I have uh, I always have this. Whenever something incredible happens with us, I have to go through a period of uh, really working to uh, filter the feelings of uh, that where I feel as though somebody's going to find out that we shouldn't have been invited in the first place and, yeah. and pull, and pull us, you know? Okay, um, yeah. yeah. So I, I've, I've kind of always experienced that, uh, with Weedis, our, uh, our early experiences, uh, after the first record came out were, uh, very much reinforcing of that. You know, we had Dirtbag and the first album came out in the States in the autumn of, 
or I should say August of 20 of 2000, 2000. Um, and, uh, you know, for the next six months we toured America without anything happening. Um, yeah. and then, and then we, we blew up in a way overseas that was quite, quite the polar opposite when Australia and the UK kicked off, it was, um, uh, primetime television, Prince, uh, uh, Prince's uh, trust party in the park and, uh, and, uh, you know, Prince Charles and, 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 um, kids Saturday morning television and like all this stuff that I had not been actually shooting for really, um, mm. this crossover pop thing took us by surprise and uh you know we thought we would maybe be a, a sort of nerdy as you say nerdy band in the corner uh from new yeah. york who was sort of eclectic heavy rock band in the in the in the understated feeling of the talking heads or uh or the ramones or or something like that and um and it went quite some of quite another way that we couldn't predict. And of course there's, you know, there's no, there's no guidebook for any of it. So we uh, f were always feeling as though somebody was going to find us out, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and when we would come home, uh, come home to the States, nothing was going on here for the first, you know, six years or so it began to turn around the song and the record began to get their own uh, place in in everybody's hearts or like a large portion of, of music people began to acknowledge it but um but for those six years we would go over to the uk and play 35 pub dates and really enjoy ourselves and feel like we were doing something incredibly meaningful and purposeful and then we would come home um and uh try and figure out whether or not we needed to live in the van or you know it was very it was very touch and go um so we never got used to the uh, the the moment of stardom or its aftermath. We just it always felt like it was overseas for us somewhere. It was at arm's length, and we mm. had to uh, be very careful about enjoying it. In in other words, save up a lot of money so we could afford a, a trip overseas and to do something to do a tour. Even though we were getting paid, it was never enough to to make it work. Um, yeah. So for all those years, we 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 struggled that way uh, all the yeah. way up to about 2010. And then things really started to turn around internationally and globally. And the United States now is, is the place where we get the most streaming spins and all that stuff. I don't know how that happened because nobody ever relaunched it or anything like that with the exception of uh, one direction. Um, That's interesting. Play, yeah. Playing dirtbag on stadium tours that they did in 2013 and 14. But um, yeah, I just, uh, it's been a an interesting ride like you say no like no you know just clueless as to how we got here <laughs> you know just um at a quick look at your spotify listens you're on 3.2 million monthly listeners so i genuinely don't think you have anything to worry about my dude <laughs> well <laughs> Well, that's not going to stop me worrying. No, of ben. course. It's, yeah, numbers <laughs> but, uh, don't quite you know. offset the mental toll. I get it. I really do genuinely. Yeah, I mean, you you know you know what I'm talking about yeah, when you really you spent more time not being successful than you have being successful. I'm sure. So what what you and I have in common is that we are operating from a position of catastrophe all the time. The wor the worry is 
is the is the opera operational mentality it's not as though i can look at spotify and see a number like 3.2 million and go yeah. all right i'll sleep well tonight fuck it yeah. i don't i can okay, i don't yeah. have to worry about, you know it, uh so yeah it's it's mm. it's once it, once that's how you go oh, how it goes for you that's how mm. it goes for you just on that this is a bit off piece but do you think you have natural talent or do you think that you just work because i think that i don't have any innate natural talent and i just hit doors until they open yeah fair enough i'd say that i'm more stubborn than talented i i could judging my own talent talent feels to me to be a sort of a subjective word in any case but um uh i would say that I, I the only tangible thing for me is that i'm certainly more stubborn than i am talented um i uh i never went to school to learn how to use this shit behind me uh, I, yeah. I I tinkered tinkered with it and tampered with it until it until it did what I wanted and now I have a few tricks that I know how to do but I I don't and uh, everything I've learned I've learned by mistake and by trial and error so it wasn't you know I have a degree in history you know right. I don't okay. have, I, I didn't study music or musical technology ever once um, I can't read music um, yeah. I can compose but I can't read music so um, you know I'm a uh, I think they call that autodidact, but that sounds yeah. like a that sounds like a, a triple-barreled word to me. Does, so yeah, <laughs> try um, the error, try the error. Yeah, that uh, seems to work. A rube. I'll say I'll say yeah. I'm a rube, and and we'll leave it at that. You know, I got you. So just backpedaling a tiny bit, the the reason that I've managed to get you on is MC Lars. One hundred percent love mc lars so much for setting me up with this the episode that i've done with him as well is genuinely one of the best episodes i think i've ever done and i love that look in his eye when i asked him the first question which i really really thought about and he was just like whoa this is going to be a tough hour if this carries on <laughs> so hell yeah shout out to mc lars love you dude same um, i love that guy man i talked to him when we talk on the yeah. phone we talk on the phone like four or five times a year maybe and it's always like a three hour phone call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're really. talking about philosophy and Descartes yeah. and like all oh, is like, you know, whatever, whatever we can, we can that's get fantastic. our dirty yeah. little, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Talk until the phone battery dies, one of them. So exactly. MC Lars podcast. So I listened to your episode um, and I'm going to try my best not to use the word amalgamate as much as he did on that episode because he was going, <laughs> he was going hard on that. Um, in the second part of the podcast, because there was two episodes that kind of got split up, you mentioned putting your guitar lead through your guitar strap rather than plugging it in directly. And that's massive, especially I play bass and I 100. And when I see that, I know that someone's had some bad luck and they've learned from that mistake of accident treading on their lead and ripping out their jack. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when you don't have guitar techs etc it's a bit of a learning experience so do you guys have guitar techs because you kind of highlighted that and i really picked that up in the episode that you did with mc lars well our my guitar world is incredibly specialized um it's a completely uh sort of home built signal path and system and the guitar itself is uh unique and um i wouldn't burden any one particular guitar tech with the way that i do things i have had 
guitar techs come up to me and, and, and express interest and say, whoa, man, why are you doing this? And I say, well, this is blah, 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 blah. And it's trying to do this acoustic and electric at the same time. But, but uh, also the kind of electric is not the kind of electric you would think it was. It's a full Metallica version, you know, kind of mm-hmm. wall of slipknot sound. Um, yeah. And uh, then, we, then we kick off on a conversation inevitably. Um, in particular, a guitar tech called Herb who we uh, were out with on the Everclear tour, really talented guy. Um, there's that word talented again. Um, he was uh, uh, g- uh, guitar and bass tech for Everclear. And uh, he, his other jobs are amazing. He was a, my, one of my favorite bands, Helmet. He's a, a front of house engineer for Helmet for Those years. Helmet. Yeah. Yeah. And got to talking to him about little tricks and things. And, um, I'm a, I'm very much a guitar tweaker mm. engineer type person. Um, the guitar that I do play is, uh, a custom, uh, sort of like Frankenstein thing. Um, I found a guy in New Jersey called Brian Neville, who was willing to try to, uh, balance this equation that I, that most luthiers would say was not worth trying to balance or was unbalanceable, <laughs> which is the. Uh, archtop acoustic electric that has a gigantic um, sort of metal guitar style neck that's very fast and um, uh, like the kind of neck that that a, that a, a true shredder would would mm. play, but is okay. but is married to the body of a properly arched top jazz acoustic. Um, and a sort of a couple of ergonomic tweaks that we made that be- became more extreme as we went through the prototypes. I can actually go get it for you if you'd like to yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, please. Hell yeah. yeah hang, hang, hang tight. I'll be right back. Hang no tight. problem. No problem. Please hold. This is mental. Some shout outs coming up in a minute. So probably could have done that whilst Brendan got his guitar. It's my first day. There it is. All right. So yeah. first okay. we have, um, this is the first one that we completed that I knew that I would be able to tour with. Right. This right. is a, an 18 inch, uh, Brian Neville, um, custom arch top acoustic. Basically it's, for all mm. for all conventional purposes it's sort of a jazz arch top you know you know it's got that sort of big body to it you know it's kind of big big acoustic tone yeah, yeah. and it's a sitka spruce top i i sourced all the wood myself it's a um 
torrified uh, single piece of walnut back and sides that's been carved. Wow. Um, and Brian, the guy who uh, built it for me, or uh, well, he actually made me do some of it, but <laughs> but uh, uh, the guy who who solved all the tricky little mm. equations, all the paradoxes, was a uh, he's. Uh, no, I wouldn't call him a luthier per se. He's a he's a structural engineer and uh, and a, a, a sculptor. So what he was doing was he was putting together um, guitar parts in a way that just don't typically get done. And if you look, uh, it's a it's a three piece laminated neck yeah. with uh, that's African blackwood splines with a yeah. uh, mahogany uh, neck and the, um, the if you look you'll see that the this side of the guitar, which is the treble side, the high end, yep. is thin, is thicker than okay, the bass, yeah, yeah. right? So that when it sits on you, it sits, you can see the wedge right. from this angle, or rather, I'll do it from this angle, it's a little bit cooler, but you see okay. the wedge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so wow. okay. it uh, it sits on me a little bit further out, so I don't have to reach my neck around so hard to take a look at the a glance at the frets right right, right okay. and <clears throat> that was so this was the first one uh this was the third guitar that we made together oh yeah and we, we started with a conventional almost gibson kind of uh, hollow body design and moved away from it in in steps until we got to something that was totally unique and this was the first yeah. one that i knew we were on to something like for real yeah um and so once he was finished with that one we did a tour where i played it and i was like i thought like this is a, this is it i've done i have done everything i need to do with guitars i never need to do anything else and i i got home and i was driving past one of my like local wood supply places i i cruised the the lumber yards for 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 tone wood just okay. in case and you'd be surprised how many wonderful pieces of guitar wood wind up in cabinet shops or boat manufacturing yards or whatever, and they'll put them on the on the side of the sidewalk, and okay. people won't even take we won't even take them for free, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, got, yeah. I was driving past this one place that I was used to scoping out. The hardest part to find to build this guitar is the single piece of very thick walnut, black American walnut is okay. in this size is rather difficult to find. It's got to be about 25 inches wide. It's got to be at least six or seven inches deep. And it's got to be, you know, 40 or 50 inches long, right? This he almost like a, you'd say a butcher block of solid walnut um, wow. with no with no sapwood. Mm -hmm. So uh, of course, no sooner does he finish the 18 yeah. uh, that I'm kind of a little, it's a little it's a splinter in my mind of, yeah, you've got a perfect 18 inch version of this guitar, but you know the deal, man, you break strings and equipment goes bad and stuff gets lost in transit and you're going to have to have a backup to this because you, if you go down the road of setting up all your sounds with this one guitar, what do you got that backs it up? So. Yeah. I'm having that conversation with myself. I'm driving past one of my lumber yards and I see sitting out in the front, leaning against the wall, a perfect piece of four foot by four foot solid gigantic walnut. And it's like eight inches deep. And it's just like the most beautiful aged piece of wood I've ever seen. So yeah. I snatched that thing up for, I think that piece of wood was probably $300. Um, the guy knew what it was. And this is the one that he made 
me with that. This is a 19-inch okay. version of the guitar. I'm in the process of sanding down some of the uh, some of the bracing inside, so I've got it all taped up. The electronics are the guts are hanging out of it. But yeah, um, this is the 19-inch version of that. Um, this is now my number one. This is the one I just did the Summerland tour with as the primary axe on the Summerland tour. This thing is huge. I mean, it's yeah, it like massive. Yeah, it's really big. This is the the treble side, and this is the bass side. So oh, yeah. we we in uh, we made the 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 um, wedge far more drastic on this one for much more sort of like ergonomic okay. sweep. Yeah, I um, yeah. and uh, and we also he said he said how many frets do you want on this guitar and I said how many can you give me and he <laughs> said I can give you I can, he's like I want to make it I want to go up to thirty six I want to make it even you know yeah, an yeah. even number and yeah. here we are a functioning thirty six fret guitar <laughs> so you know this thing I mean it's That's huge fantastic. it looks like I'm wearing a cello or something yeah, you yeah. know. But um, but I love this thing. This thing has like just monstrously gigantic tonality. Uh, it was the fourth iteration of his design, so he got a whole bunch of stuff right, you know, that he had been worrying about. Hmm. And you know, it's just like it's just huge. Um, oh yeah. I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm leaning yeah. in on the console and trying to play it here without yeah, 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 having stuff. So, so this. So this thing is the. This is the, now the number one, uh, which is 19 inch. Um, you know, like you could call it, you would call it a a Brian Neville custom guitar or a yeah. W W W model. Um, yeah. So I take those two out. Those are my two um, main and backup. And. Uh, I use uh, I use a pickup called a, a Graph Tech Ghost. Um, I'm sorry, my dog Cosmo is out hey, in the backyard fine. barking away. But uh, I use a I use a Graph Tech Ghost pickup um, for it, and uh, it's um, you know it's like uh, a weird sort of acoustic pickup that has been I think pretty well engineered for just a a, a, a neutral acoustic tone. Which is very hard to do with electronic. Like it, uh, acoustic pickups are all, it's almost all garbage, right? Mm -hmm. Do you notice? I don't know if you mess around at all, but they sound very sort of plackety or plickety, and they don't really have a, a warmth to them at all. There's a lot of transient attack that's unpleasant. So, I think, um, yeah, I think the, the future is modular, isn't it? It's having that ability to flick between clean, distorted, overdriven just full out balls to the wall Metallica and you see stuff like fluence pickups, you know, stuff like that. And is it what, what's fluence? What's a fluence pickup? Is, is it Fishman? Uh, Fishman has, yeah. Fishman is the, they make, they make the pickup that was in my original Martin guitar, which I used for the first yeah. album, second, third, uh, lots of the fourth album. Hmm. Um, and the fifth album, is, uh, but the, 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 that's uh Fishman, uh, gold line plus. Yeah. That that one um, was was pretty cool. It did the trick, but it's nothing like the Graph Tech. The Graph yeah. Tech is another story. Yeah, I think I'm not a massive uh, guitar player myself. I play bass, so I just leave stuff in it. And occasionally, you know, every three years, I'll change the strings. 
Right. Um, <laughs> so Devin Townsend uses uh, Fishman Fluence, I think it is. Um, and right. I'll have to look that up. This man. crazy switch because a lot of his stuff's very clean. And then the next album's just insanity, like, you know, strapping young lads, obviously, like one of his side projects and stuff like that. Um, who else is it? Bare Knuckle. They're from the UK, I think. Would you mind emailing me some of these links so I can Absolutely. track track them down here? I'm recording Absolutely. a backup of this conversation on my phone. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah, of course. No problem. Uh, otherwise, I'd be surfing the web right now. I'm trying to find that I forgot stuff. To, I forgot to remind you about that. So well done. No, but I had that. seen it in an email or Matthew, I think, had That's mentioned it. it to me. Yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, I can tell that you're a bit of a gearhead. So I love mm. that. Just uh, let you riff on that. Quickly want to just quickly do some shout outs because I will forget otherwise we will go back into this wormhole of uh, talking about guitars for 20 minutes. Sure, man. <laughs> so no Archie Soul, always hooking me up. They've recently just sent me a box full of stuff, stuff from the US, stuff from Canada, all from the UK, uh, exclusive contracts. Um, we've got Duke Cannon Thick, smells like naval diplomacy, uh, body wash. <laughs> <laughs> nuts. I'll send you a link to this as well if you're interested. Old Glory, this one's called. Yeah. So uh yeah, they're just always hooking me up with stuff, constantly sending me stuff all the time, and I could not be happier with it. It is absolutely fantastic, and I'm actually struggling to get through it at this point, to be completely honest. So it's all sort of like washes and hygiene stuff. Is that yeah, all yeah. Or, yeah. soaps? So this is a soap. I've, I always get this out, but I just I love I love po people's uh, reactions. Can we call them posh soaps? Yeah. Yeah. Beer soap. <laughs> oh, that's this that's posh as it gets right there. This is my phone. This is the soap. <laughs> is that is that the soap that Boris Johnson keeps at uh, Ten Downing? Properly. <laughs> He's on next week. I'll ask him. <laughs> That'll be the dream. No, that will not be the dream. Let's not mm. joke about stuff like that. <laughs> um, who else have I got a shout out? I got a shout out my editor John. Um, he said, thank you so much, Brendan. Um, Lemonade really got him through his tough times. He's recently had a bit of a divorce with his wife. Um, so, yeah, shout out to John for always hitting me up and sorting out these messy, messy videos of all of these audio delays and stuff that we always have to work through, dude. Um, Cheers, John. Yeah, nice one. Uh, coffee shout out. So I've recently acquired a new sponsorship. So we'll just quickly run through that. They're called Lasting... What were they called? Let me get this right. Let me get this right. Cast Long Shadows Coffee. So if you go over to www.castlongshadows.com and you use the code Bedlam1, then you will get 15% off and I'll get a tiny bit of money. If you need some good coffee, check them out. Nice one for sponsoring the podcast as always, guys. Pleasure to have you on board. Who else have we got? We'll do some more in a minute. Um, just quickly before I forget, as well, Dan Lee, the last episode, he's always on Facebook Live at 7 p.m. He's trying to keep the community of his happy, and uh, he's doing Brian Adams covers. He's doing a bit of Soundgarden here and there, and he's just he's in it for a good time. And I, wow. I, love, his voice. I love a Soundgarden cover. That's like, yeah, he did Black Hole Son earlier. It's just to be able yeah. to sing like that, it's just nuts. We'll, we'll get on oh, to man. Your, your singing that's, in a minute. Yeah. That's some serious shit. I've got some soap shout out to do in a bit. I'll do that in a bit because I just don't want to uh, keep Brendan waiting too long. But yeah, cheers, Archie Soul, as always. Cheers, John, as always. Cheers, Cast Long Shadows Coffee. Pleasure to have you, like I say. So, back to Wheatus. So, my girlfriend wants to know, how did Wheatus start 
and where did your band name come from? Um, we, we get this question a lot. Thank you. Uh, I, I don't mind answering it. It's, it's always fun. Uh, I started the band by myself. That is yep. to say that I was in a bunch of other projects and I began work on Weedus, what would become Weedus around 1994 when I was uh, beginning to toy with the notion of singing and playing my own songs at the same time, you know, both uh, the juggling routine. And I spent 94, 95, 96, and part of 97, very much in the woodshed. Although I was playing a lot of live music during that time and recording a lot of music, none of it was my own uh, in terms of my vocal. I wasn't singing on any of it. Um, yeah. I was writing and recording a record for an act that eventually came out on A&M Records. Uh, I was I, I, in a band called Hope Factory, touring uh, and recording uh, toward the East Coast with Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Wow. Um, and all the while, I was sort of tinkering with this, well, I want to play an acoustic guitar. I want it to sound like a metal guitar. How do I do that? Um, I want to have my voice be authentic and write about what I have lived. How do I do that? And a lot, long time in the woodshed before I showed anybody anything. I had a four track and a drum machine and a bass and my guitar and a, a nice, not, decent microphone that I had purchased with money that I earned uh, fixing printers at a, at a computer repair place. Um, yeah. So uh just um yeah going over it and over it and revising it and revising it until it came to a place where i thought okay that's time to start showing people and i got my um started playing with other musicians for something that would be called weedus but was the caveat was always hey guys i am uh developing this as my own sort of singer songwriter project and uh it's going to be you know i'm going to write all the parts it's going to be a composed piece. We're not going to improv together for sections or, or bits. Uh, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to just play the songs the way that they are. So that was the first yeah. time I had done anything like that. And that was Weedus. That became Weedus. Okay. And the name uh, was uh, something that my father had sort of, uh, sort of pet named us when we were kids. My brother and sister and I, when we were very little, he would use the word little and sort of mush it up and say, oh, little, 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 weedle, weedle, weedle. And that became weedus, 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 you know. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know how pet names will kind of morph over time into something completely not what they originally yeah. came from. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's what weedus is. And it was also important to me on the level that it, it doesn't mean anything to anybody. It was a mm. nonsense word. And I didn't want the name of the band <clears throat> to do anything except for to make a sound, you know? Right. Okay. Right. Fair enough. So yeah, that was it. Um, and that process of uh, tinkering at home with my four track, eventually inviting other musicians to be a part of it, getting my brother on board, uh, getting Phil Jimenez involved and producing a record from 1997, 98, 99. And then, in the spring of 2000, after we had signed to Columbia Records, we took the fourth swipe at recording the fourth revision of the whole album, which happened at my mother's house in late February and first half of March in the year 2000. And it was about three and a half weeks it took us to finish it while we were yeah. sort of still holding down our day jobs and commuting back and forth uh, from the city. Yeah, I saw that. What was um was it Vice did a documentary and you um mm. you basically took over your mum's house 
yeah and recorded a load of songs and was it columbia records were giving you a bit of a hard time saying we want to um release the demos or was it something a hard time and that was actually that was actually a a pretty serious nod of um of approval and and faith in us that they wanted to put the demos out i happened to think that they were inferior and they were columbia records thought that that was it that they were done so um I said, wait a minute, no, 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 this doesn't, these demos don't sound like a real band. There's still fake drums here and there. It was still one of the transitional periods from my demoing process, getting into, um, into the real band process. And um, so I asked them for $50,000 in three weeks, um, during which we could finish. Oh, I guess I think I asked them for a month and I came in under at, at three and a half. <clears throat> and, uh, and that was what we did at my mother's house. We spent the money on some of the gear you see back here and we yep. set it up in her living room and we, and we drove her crazy for three and a half weeks. Yeah. 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 If, if we're not watching this on YouTube guys, if you are watching us on Spotify, get over to YouTube because I can't even describe the stuff that's going on behind Brendan's. <laughs> it's like a power station. There's loads of lights and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Yeah. It gets worse. It's, this is not, but it's, you know, <laughs> it it's very, very troublesome. It doesn't stop in any direction. It's all just like, Oh, oh no. man. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. It just goes on and on and on. Oh, wicked, wicked. Right. So, 21 to 20 years of being in a band what does that take as an individual slash group to endure because i've been in bands for i'd say probably seven eight years and i had to bow out because i had a son so uh right well first and foremost uh you have to be people who are uh, can sustain the road which is to say that you are ready for the discomforts and the slings and arrows of being living in a moving vehicle and not knowing where your next shower or meal is going to come from. Yeah. Uh, at the same time that you are uh, prioritizing and, and being very careful about your own personal health, you are aware of and looking out for the concerns of your fellow travelers. So that I would say is the most important sort of prerequisite. You have to be able to look out for one another. You have to take care of each other a lot of forgiveness, a lot of letting people off the hook for this and that, um, uh, a lot of maybe not taking yourself too seriously, mm-hmm. uh, but taking mm-hmm. the work very, very seriously and taking the, your, your, your comrades very, very seriously. And yeah. if you can do enough of that um, as, a, as a mantra uh, and a meditation, then you can probably pull it off. You also have to um, work on the music with that, in mind and when you work on the music you have to do it over and over again and you have to really dig in mm. to the point where you know everyone who starts playing music at first it's very fun you know mm. and i for me it still is but i do know of the feeling of being this is the 250th time that we're recording this particular song this yeah. no, this next take is number 250 yeah and that's a lot of time to spend trying to get one three minute and, and 30 second song right so mm. you make it worth it by really ripping it open and trying to peel the layers and put them back together again in a way that is special enough to go out there in the world and ask people to spend money on it because it better be pretty fucking special if you're asking people to spend money on it you know yeah especially um, nowadays where everything's streamed and everything's just like like I grew up in this world of like I listened to an album, track one to track ten, 
Whereas now it's, oh, I'll listen to track two and then I'll completely change artist. And then I might listen to track eight in a month. And it's like, you know, I, it's a complete lack of discipline in my opinion, but you know, you've got to move with it and stuff like that, but it kind of ruins the flow of the album. Like some albums I listen to have a nice cohesive one song bleeds into the other. Do you know what I mean? That sort of thing. There's but, a yeah. few, there's a few acts that are young that, that are, or, or even middling middle-aged uh, that are, that are doing that very well still. Um, Phoebe Bridgers does that. Her her albums are continuous. They have flow. They have a vision from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, she's one of the artists who I I just trust her that if I'm pressing play, I don't have to press stop. I can get on my bike and yeah. go and not worry about grabbing the phone while I'm That's doing it. you know 25 miles an hour on my BMX That's with it. no yeah. helmet. You know. So like I the uh, and the the other act that I think is really has taken that as their as their discipline is biffy clyro mm, love them that band makes records they don't make songs you know that mm. that shit is that shit is epic um hmm. so yeah it's like that and we we approach it from that as best we can uh on our budgets and and um you know we've tried a couple of different ways you can do it standing in the same room and playing together or you can learn the songs independently and meet uh, for single instrument moments. Um, they both have their advantages. Um, my personal favorite is standing in the same room because you learn more about the composition than you thought could possibly exist. Um, yeah. Doing it that way. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's it's and and yeah. again, if if it was easy, everybody'd be doing it. So it's very hard. It's it's hard work, but you know, you also can't complain about if you actually are getting paid to play music. Why? What do you have to complain about? You have, you're one of a handful of, mm. you know, such a small population of human existence have, has ever even experienced that. You know. Yeah. So, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Just had a quick look at Phoebe Bridges, and she actually covers a Bo Burnham song. I absolutely love Bo Burnham. I can talk. To anyone about Bo Burnham for hours yeah. uh, it's a complete rabbit hole we won't go there because <laughs> it yeah, just gets it, messy it, it really like yeah. that's 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 our tour bus uh yeah otter right there so she covered that funny feeling and Bo Burnham was actually in the crowd and that YouTube video of someone recording the fact that Bo's in the crowd and she's obviously playing one of his songs back to him in a way that's gone viral and it's got like 20 million views on YouTube. So I just had a quick look and checked that that was the person that you've just described. So I'm definitely going to check her out. So <laughs> thanks for the recommendation. I'm always up for listening to new music. No worries. So, fantastic. So this wouldn't be a Wheatus interview without mentioning the elephant in the room, which is Teenage Dirtbag. Sure. So the societal impact that song had um, just quickly before we go into the One Direction territory, that music video is one of the most perfect music videos, in my opinion, because it really tells a narrative. It tells a story about like this kid that's like shy and he's afraid to get beaten up and all that sort of thing. And obviously you've got the controversial gun to school lyric and stuff like that. And then at the end, when the girl sings and he's in you know he gets that chance to take her out for a date and you just want to like fucking punch the like screen and just be like yes you fucking did it <laughs> you just don't know how the song is going to play out like the first time you hear it like 
yeah it's just such a good song it's it's really really something and i know that it's got quite a lot of sort of heritage and it's got quite a lot of personal meaning to you hasn't it so um yeah, yeah. well yeah i've always said and i still think that what it means to people who uh are listening to it this moment and tomorrow uh, in their own lives is infinitely more important than anything that I think of it uh, yeah. or, or, you know, um, so yeah, I, I, I would say that that's, that that's true. Um, that it's, yeah. uh, that it's, that it only lives on in the, in the, in mm. people's feelings and not in its intentions, you know, we were like a victory of getting the girl. So hell yeah. So <laughs> hitting commercial success straight away with songs such as that, how do you keep the momentum going after you, you know, it's kind of a stock market. Like one day you invest in Amazon, for example, the next day you've got this huge trend line of success almost overnight. Obviously we all know that an overnight success is actually 10 years in the making. But how do you keep on top of that wave of this is working? Well, I never felt empowered to stay on top of it. Yeah. Um, we felt like the song went out and did things that, uh, that maybe even its handlers weren't expecting or in some cases even comfortable with. Um, mm. It was uh, defying expectations and not uh and not uh, meeting them and that meant that it was always a surprise when something happened with it um it, you know it was it's all wrong teenage dirtbag it's four minutes and 20 seconds long which is way too long for a radio single it's a yeah. minute it's a minute over right which is yeah unheard of and back in the day the heyday of columbia records and their big radio machine where they were you know putting beyonce and uh destiny's child on the map and they had just done um the fujis and and uh they were hustling bob dylan's catalog and barbara streisand and and bruce springsteen and and um you know there's so many other artists that they put that they put out there that were just that are just like Pete Yorn and like all these really credible like beautiful artists um, that they were delivering. Columbia Records was driving the radio market like almost singularly at mm. some point, and our song was just not in their yeah uh, we weaponry. It just yeah. wasn't. Um, so I we were we were we were misfit from the start with that, and anytime mm. it did anything. It was uh, it was a surprise. It was like it crashed the party. It was like, wait a minute, how did this happen? And perhaps, as you say, it being this sort of narrative-based thing, it's a story, right? It's a little yeah. short story. Definitely, it's a short story. Yeah. And 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 if you and if you were to cut any part of it out, it just it would fall apart as a short mm -hmm. story. So I I like to think, or maybe I'm wrong, but that maybe the fact that it was just beginning, middle, end character development. Mm. meant more to its longevity than the the idea that it be usable in the radio machine of Columbia Records, right? Yeah. yeah. So it would have it was funny as like the the equation of weaponizing it for Columbia Records to deliver, yeah. chopping it down to three twenty or three mm. minutes, uh, would have annihilated it. Definitely in, in, its, in its longevity. It would it would have made no sense. So I think yeah. that like 
you know, um, the story itself, the narrative was pushing back on the convention mm. saying, no, I'm not done talking yet kind of thing. You don't know the end yet, you know, and, and uh, making it worth sticking around for the end to see yeah. how these characters turn out was like yeah, yeah. how the song went about its life, you know. And also that satisfaction of it actually ends in a good way rather than this kid just gets stood up and walks off into the sure it's 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 totally unreal it's a fairy tale ending it does it's you know it doesn't uh it doesn't happen in real life and we all know Mm. that so um you know certainly not in mine i mean i didn't even have there weren't even girls in my school i i I went to i went to prom with all my friends all my my male friends because we were like fuck girls but we kind of (laughs) we we want we want girls, but we can't get them. But they don't need to know that. Nah, they're yeah. disgusting. Put on a brave face, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. You got it. So, right. So the One Direction reprise of, was it Teenage Dirtbag? Yes. How yeah. did that affect you as artists? Um, introduced us to uh, a, a group of people who were 10 to 15 years younger than... Um, than when the song came out, who, yeah. who would, I think, not have had access to it uh, in any meaningful way. Yeah. And cracked the American market for the song, finally. So yeah. 14 years, 13 years after the song came out in the States, a UK band whose members were 10 years old when it first hit their television and radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, brought it back to its place of origin and showed it to everybody anew and that's when we saw things start to kick into a different gear that we had planned not to experience yeah so Mm. you know it was a big turnaround um and then i went you know i mean boy bands for me are of a certain time uh and and ethos that i was never into i was really into motown i still am all of the classic moves and the, the records that they made back then, the stuff that boy bands, modern boy bands are owe their sort of origin to. Um, I was into that, but the, the mid, the middle period of boy bands, even like, even stuff like boys to men, even the really great stuff. I wasn't there for it. I was into, you know, hardcore and, um, you know, indie folk and metal and, and weird hip hop and, you know, um, I just what the boy band genre was jumps to something that I was just like, I can't, I can't vibe it. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I saw One Direction and I saw the chaos that they mm. were in this like sort of punk rock mode mm. uh, developed as they were, they were in open violation of so many boy band rules. <laughs> You know, yeah. like, like I could, yeah. I was like, what are these kids doing? Is this their idea? Like these, this is, you know, um, and then Brock Hampton comes after that. And you have this whole rethink of the boy band, uh, idea, which mm. I think was really cool. And, mm. you know, that I can, I can kind of be around for, um, yeah. so yeah, yeah, I think, I think that that was a, you know, they, they took it and brought it back into a place. You know, yeah. the turn the turn of the century, the videos that got made, it was almost all the videos had to have some boy band gloss to them. Even Blink-182 in their parody, right? Yeah. Um, hmm. Is effectively a very well shot boy band video. 
except that they're goofing the the, the topic in in the video but yeah. it still is <laughs> still actually yeah. is a sort of glossy boy band video and it was like that was how you got videos to play on mtv back then in the in the heyday of um uh trl total request live here in the states was a yeah. big show um and if you couldn't get on total request live you were doomed i mean doomed mm. and we were i will never forget this we were trl wannabes but yeah. it was christina aguilera 98 degrees britney spears you know in sync uh all of it was so boy band it was so boy band in its aesthetic even if it was like i said with blink 92 even if it wasn't actually boy band music it had to have that aesthetic to get through that market yeah and it was a brilliant move on their part to parody the form mm. in order to do that but that was what happened and yeah you know yeah. uh even teenage dirtbag has boy bandish elements now we the band uh don't really fit that mold they tried to put us in those places tried to put us in that uh lens and i don't i think it fails in the video to to make us look glossy uh and i think that that might be a good thing mm. in the end because it's yeah. a quirk it becomes a quirky video at that point um yeah yeah so yeah. I a lot of people are really attached to it but the, the point mm. being that you know i've gone so far off your original question i'm no, sorry that's but, fine that's that's, that's yeah. just what this is what this is that's cool i think right. teenage dirtbag has a rewatchability to it but obviously you know if you watch a film like american beauty you know when everything goes a bit strange in the middle and that sort of thing you you can watch it again but there's never that initial surprise of oh it ends that way you know right unless right. you watch you know it once a year or something like that but um yeah it's definitely i remember it being on kerrang a lot and scuzz and um you know when i was flicking through you know oh there's nothing on mtv right i'll head over to kerrang and then if there's nothing on kerrang i'll head over to scuzz and sometimes sure, it was yeah it was it was the wallpaper of kerrang really i had a wonderful experience with kerrang tv um i came I, we flew over to london and i uh, had we were set to live there for a while up yeah. in angel and um i had brought my bike uh, my bmx bike in the in the cargo instead of a suitcase and uh <laughs> i i i built it because i had a jet lag i built it while watching kerrang tv at i don't know maybe three o'clock in the morning like unable to sleep and um the second video that came on was the long the sort of unedited version of you're growing on me by the darkness yeah might yeah, have been yeah. 2000 or it might have been early 2002 in the spring of 2002 and I was obsessed. I was like, "Oh my God, this is it! This is the new Led Zeppelin! This is the, they're going to they're going to do it! This is happening! This is happening!" And I couldn't shut the fuck up about the darkness. And at the time, not a lot of people knew what I was talking about. I was just bugging out about the darkness. Yeah. Got their album. Album is magnificent, you know. Uh, and all these years later, I still watch Justin Hawkins' uh, yeah. videos on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched one the other day, weirdly enough, because um, someone threw beer at him on stage when he was singing, and I thought he was going to go. How mental. dare they? <laughs> I thought, yeah, it sounds like him. It, I thought that was going to be like, I've seen, um, was it Sebastian back? Someone threw something at him once on a stage, and he drop kicked them. He came off the stage and kicked someone in like the crowd, and yeah, I was don't like, do that. 
oh my god that's mental um but justin hawkins was just like oh don't do that please i'm i'm not trying to drink i'm trying to focus on playing the song <laughs> i was like what <laughs> completely de-escalated the situation i was like what the hell but yeah genius there we go. There genius we go. rock royalty really that's it he played about 25 minutes up the road from me yeah um there's a thing called teddy rocks shout out teddy rocks it's uh, all about donating money and raising money for children with cancer sure yes yeah. fuck cancer so yeah yeah fuck it hell yeah man right so I've just got one more shout out and then we're going to talk about Rush. So prepare okay. yourself. I love Rush. So mm. Robin at Nest Sopery uh, is a former pastry, pastry chef who makes handcraft cold processed soaps. She's an artist first and foremost, which is her key to any process when making soaps. She released soaps on the first Saturday of every month. Your listeners, our listeners, can use... Code absolute bedlam, all one word to get fifteen percent off their order. Thank you very much, Robin. Nice one. So, Rush. Hmm. Am I right in thinking that your first introduction into Rush was Spirit of the Radio? Uh, yes, but I was a little too young. Uh, I was born in nineteen seventy-three. Spirit of the Radio came out in seventy-nine, and my cousin Dean uh, played it for me on a cassette tape. Uh, probably that summer. So I remember hearing the spirit of radio, uh, on, on perhaps a little, uh, one of those, not a Walkman, but a, a little cassette recorder player device that you, they built them and had a little speaker yeah. inside of it. Um, and I think he was walk, we were walking through the woods together and he played me that tape, uh, in the summer of 79 or possibly 1980. And, uh, I remember thinking it sounded very sparkly hmm. and special, and it reminded me of a Christmas tree. Um, yeah. Like the way that it was so intricately, delicately uh, uh, iridescent and, and, you know, gleaming. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I found uh, them on MTV a few times, hmm. on Grace Under Pressure, on uh, the uh, in 1985 when they came out with moving pic uh, moving pictures no power windows sorry power windows and and having the they were uh, they had a good video on on MTV countdown uh, mm. called the big money and I was sort of obsessed yeah, with man. that song and I that is a chain caught them and and mm. at that point in their in their middle uh, new wave influence period they're still a sick ass rock band I don't know why anybody oh, yeah. ever thought that they that they uh, went went south there. I know some people were not yeah. into that, but but fuck fuck those people. They don't know shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, um, yeah. Go on, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, the uh, um, and then uh, again, time stands still had a video with Amy Mann in it. I remember watching that. Mm. And then two years later, I was having a really hard time in high school. I was fifteen years old. I'll just go right out and say it. I was thinking about how to end my own life. Yeah. I was in a bad, bad place. And I was um, uh, coming home from the train station in my father's car. I was commuting to high school at this point. Um, and Show Don't Tell debuted on, I think, WNEW in All New right. York. And I, at that point, had been playing guitar a few years. And that was like coming, coming back to Rush for this like 
fourth fourth round of this one was just like the knife went right in and it stayed and i was like holy shit this is incredible i need to and i immediately bought the record on vinyl and and cd and i went grabbed my guitar and i started trying to figure out how to play it and for the next two years i really didn't practice with or try to learn anything else it was yeah. always a rush record it was rush 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 yeah. rush rush i was obsessed and that took me through to being, you know, 17 years old. And by the time I was 17 years old, I could play all of the trees, all of the hemispheres record, mm. every song on moving pictures. I, you know, I really went in. I used to know how to play Jacob's Ladder note for note when I was 16 years old. I couldn't even begin to do that now. But um, they taught me how to play really complex music mm. and to wait for your timing to find the timing that's odd or count and figure it out and um you know i i saw them a few times in high school during that period at the nassau coliseum uh and you know it was just like yeah. it just cracked it all open uh and that yeah. record presto was the one when i was 15 where i fully and completely fell into the rush hole yeah like that was it like i said i had spotted with them and played along to the big money on tv and tried mm. to figure it out and stuff mm. and kind of gave up you know because it was really complex yeah too course. complex yeah. for me at the time i was 12 when that came out so it was like <laughs> what is this and um you know enough years later i came back to them and and haven't left yeah, I think I heard about them probably through my dad or my stepdad or something like that. I just knew that they existed. And me and my friend Jim, we um we got a CD, I think, of Russian Rio. Oh, yeah. And we were just like, this is mental. This is unlike anything we've ever heard. And then he managed to get the DVD off one of his friends. And I watched the DVD with him. And I was just in awe of the fact that it was only three people. And I literally said to Jim, where are the rest of the people? Because there's no way that this guy is singing and playing bass like this. Geddy is just absolutely ridiculous. And they've also got washing machines on stage. Yeah. And they're actually washing their washing. It's not just a stage Always piece. practical with those guys. Fantastic. <laughs> just, there's just so many facts and so many little sort of nuanced things that they do. And yeah, I, I don't know what my favourite song is. I remember um, it was on Guitar Hero, YYZ um that's quite obviously it's an instrumental one so it's quite a sort of moody song that you have to be in the right frame of mind to absorb but roll the bones one little victory and Earthshine, i think that that riff in Earthshine is just so powerful people talk a lot about that one man yeah, that man. one that's later later in their career they didn't they never stopped burning they no. never stopped cooking man they were roasting the whole time and you know you can there's a few moments in the 90s that i relate less to mm. yeah. um especially the second half of the 90s but um i have there's one of my favorite songs is on vapor trails uh it's the uh, the 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 part of the fear trilogy uh or the the for the fierce let me see uh yeah you, can you look up really up. quick i i forget I, i'm what the exact name of it is is escaping me at the moment um rush vapor trails album list <clears throat> It's an instrument. It's not an instrumental. It's part of the fear uh, sequence that they have. You know, the enemy within and and witch hunt. Um, Let's have a look. 
Vapor Trails, Vapor Trails, Vapor Trails. It's like seventh or eighth or sixth song on the record somewhere down there. Oh my god, this is nuts. Bear with, bear with. No, take your time. Album. It's worth it because you you tell people about this song. (laughs) Yeah. Album list. So we've got One Little Victory, Ceiling Unlimited, Ghost Rider, Peaceable Kingdom, The Stars Look Down, How It Is, Vapor Trail, Secret Touch, Earthshine, Sweet Miracle, Nocturne, Freeze, Part Four of Fear. That's it. Out of the Cradle. Yeah, Freeze. Man, what a tune. I mean... So it's so tricky and so fucking in your fucking face the whole time. Yeah. And then like it's just like frenetic, like just Yeah, definitely. High tense, high tension vibration all the way through the verses Mm. that seem to take forever. And then it just breaks through the clouds into this like how did they arrive at this? (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like the, the people that write that music are vessels. And they're just obsessed and possessed and just like, I don't know what's happening. This is just Well, you know what's funny about that concept? You're coming on a concept. Mm. Neil Neil actually wrote a song about that concept. Okay. It's it's called uh, The Mission. Okay. And it's on Hold Your Fire. It's on the B side of Hold Your Fire. And it is literally about the people who for whom artistic or creative endeavors or even just endeavors that require excellence and discipline yep. are so possessed of their, of their challenge yeah, or their, um, I don't know, not journey. Uh, their uh, destination, like their, no, where they want to be. Their endeavor. Yeah. Just right. The That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're so possessed of their endeavor that they, uh, that they, if you were to, if you were to really get down to it, they might actually be willing to trade their ability to do it mm. for the peace of mind of not being obsessed with this endeavor anymore. They cannot help it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's mm. a such a beautiful song. We, I saw them at. Um, I saw them at uh, Jones Beach Amphitheater, which is a, a, a half of like a sort of old Greco-Roman style amphitheater on the beach in wow. New York That's on awesome. Long Island. And the sun was setting behind them. Perfect. And um, the uh, <laughs> this was amazing. They reached they played the mission or mission and they, they reached the crescendo, this incredible crescendo in the middle of the song, just like mm-hmm. they typically are capable of. Yeah, yeah. And they hit the downbeat and a swan flies out from behind the stage off into the sunset. Right. And the fucking crowd is like, what the hell is that? A fucking MIDI controlled swan. What the hell was that? Did they do that on purpose? Like, (laughs) We were just, people were in hysteric, people were hysterical, like just looking at each other. Like, did that just really happen? Like what the fuck is this? Like, this is like otherworldly. Unleash the swan. Yeah. Gandalf came down and cast a spell. Hell and like, yeah. You know, it was so weird. 
Oh, they've um, ascended to such a level of talent that they've all become Doctor Doolittle. Yeah. <laughs> be free. It really was just next Fantastic. level shit, you know. I love that stuff. Brilliant. Um, right, so new album. New album details. Am I right in okay, thinking so you're on album number seven right now? We are on, on album album number seven, a, a, a batch of 10 or 11 new songs, brand new ones. Um, uh, one of, two of which are actually on Spotify already, a song called Lullaby, where we experiment with, just like with the guitar, merging uh, proper jazz with ugly metal, gnarly psychedelic noise metal. Mixed yeah. with proper melodic, organized, disciplined jazz. Um, that was an experiment. The song "Lullaby." The other one that's on there is uh, from that series of songs I'm discussing. Is this uh, is uh, "Tipsy," a song okay. called "Tipsy." That was inspired by uh, Liam Payne from uh, Yeah, from One Direction. Um, yeah. Yeah. Conversation I had with him one night, um, and. Uh, we have there's another song called Michelle, which is we have a live version of on our we put out a live record this past year, um, hmm. and it's uh, called M Live in America, and um, so that's the those are three of the songs from the new batch. Um, however, we are still struggling through the 2020 hmm. uh, 20th anniversary reissue of our first album. You may or may not know that the masters for that record appear to be lost, the originals. Okay. And um, yeah, so we've recreated them from scratch. Right. Also found the opportunity 2020 on the 20th anniversary in the year 2020 was supposed to have 20 songs on it. Uh, that was the idea. So um, mm. for that, we, f we found uh, old demos of songs from through the years that sounded like they belonged on album one but that's why we never finished them and never put them out because it was would have been sort of like a repeat. So uh, we polished them off and relearned them and we recorded these 10 sort of alternate universe album one songs mm. that are going to come out on the 2020 anniversary edition of album one with Teenage Dirtbag 2020, Truffles 2020, Sunshine 2020, Hump'em and Dump'em 2020 and so on. All those songs I just mentioned are currently out right now on Spotify, okay. and we've been releasing them as pairs. So Teenage Dirtbag has uh, an alternate album one partner, it's Antimatter Particle, called Mope. So that was one single, uh, double. I call it a double A-side, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. two songs on a single. Um, and then uh, uh, the, the partner for Sunshine is a song called Through that was written by Joey. Uh, Slater, uh, one of our backing vocalists, um, she called all the shots on that one. Uh, and uh, Hump 'em and Dump 'em has a uh, uh, its partner is um, oh boy, I don't remember. Uh, I think it's uh, oh, man, I can't. yeah. Well, let's say <laughs> I, 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 the reason I can't remember it is because I'm busy trying to remember this crap happening right now. So of course, um, of course. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so the uh, yeah, they, they, we have these uh, five of the pairs are currently up online mm -hmm. um, on Spotify and um, paired with their, you know, the, the 10 songs total are already out. So believe it or not, that's only half the record. Uh, the other half I'm in the process of finishing, as you can see, um, and we hope to finish it all up by the summertime in, in which 
case will uh, cut a double LP vinyl of the 20 song edition of album one, complete with Teenage Dirtbag and all the other songs you're familiar with. We did not cover A Little Respect again because we're planning as a third disc companion to your uh, reissue of the first album, we are planning uh, a covers album. Ah. Some of the covers we've done in the past, some we've never done. Um, songs like Jesse's Girl and Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up To Be Cowboys and um, uh, Surrender by Cheap Trick. Some of the oh, songs yeah. that we, we did, in, yeah, those yeah. are three songs that we did in the clubs in the, in the 1990s. We did oh, those yeah. songs. Um, so we're going to grab all of our influences. A Little Respect's going to be on there. We're going to re-record all of it, put it on a 10 or maybe even a 15-song covers record that is a companion to it. And a lot of what I'm talking about uh, requires that we do some renovation to the studio and we also get this COVID shit over with. Because yeah. yeah. It's very difficult to do this work if you can't stand in the same room together. Agreed. You know? Yeah. Humpum and Dumpum was paired with FBSM. Oh, yes. FBSM. Yeah. That's a song where the band, uh, I, I put it to the band. I said, I have this old riff. The original lyrics are kind of crap. Uh, why don't you guys replace them with uh, you guys uh, making fun of me? <laughs> Brilliant. So that's what FBSM uh, is is all about, and uh, it stands for um, Free Ballin' Stress Machine. Right, okay, brilliant, love that. So yeah, when's uh, when's album seven? Are you getting the the reissue done first, sort of thing, and then yeah, the reissue, uh, then album seven, or maybe reissue, then covers, then album seven. We're not yeah. really sure, but album seven has um, quite a bit of of multi tracking material already done. So uh, we'll, we'll get back to it. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. And finish it up. Yeah. What's going on then? Lots going on in the Wheatus sphere. Tons. Awesome. So I've got two more questions. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to leave you to your day because you've got a lot going on, like we just discovered. Um, yeah, I've got to head off to the vet in about yeah, 45 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah. What does your day-to-day -day look like? Like, like you're seeing it. This is where I spend most of my days. Yeah. Uh, I walk the dogs as much as I can just to get out and get some fresh air. But of I am in this, uh, I'm in Dr. Brown's laboratory from uh, sometimes starting at 6 a.m. Yeah. Um, the recording system that we use is called uh, Pyramix DSD, which means for lay people, you can't tinker with the audio and correct it the way that you can in systems that have auto-tune and quantizing grids and all those happy horseshit tricks that are out there don't get me wrong i'm totally in favor of making lots of pop records with all the great new tools i sometimes use them myself when i'm working with other people and i enjoy them but the weedest material we try to treat it like it's being done on a tape machine mm. so learn how to play it right don't mm. learn how to edit it into mm. being right that's the that's the sort of discipline yeah i feel um, that i feel that yeah and that means there's a lot more work to do there's a lot more file management you're constantly making sure that all this stuff that you're recording is in the right place and triplicate and you're not losing anything so um yeah yeah so that's what uh that's what i do every day and, and also the analog gear doesn't sound the same tomorrow as it does today. So if you get a special spot, you got to hurry up and finish what you're working on because it'll never sound that way again. So yeah. capturing special moments on these unique pieces of electronics is also a thing. Unfortunately, 
there's a challenge with digital recording systems where, you know, if you have the latest Waves plugin and somebody else has it, guess what? You're putting out the same exact mathematically identical signal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It does the same thing. And, it, it, you know, I mean, you, you have a different kick drum maybe, but more and more the treatment of it is going to be mm. the same. So it's almost like in the end, everyone's going to be kind of, working in the same exact studio yeah everything will sound sonically identical yeah, right right there'll yeah. be a there'll be a stamp there'll be a stamp of these companies instead of a stamp of the guy who was sweating yeah. over that in 1988 you know what i mean yeah so yeah. um yeah it's a different it's a it's a different world the analog you never get the same trick twice yeah no, fair enough fair enough yeah. cool um hobbies outside of music obviously you've just mentioned your dogs and you've mentioned walking and bmx bmx I, I'm 24 inch uh, BMX cruisers. I have a uh, Skunk Works quad angle, which is a tribute to an SE racing bike from back in the day. Um, they're making new ones that are pretty s slick these days. Um, yeah. But uh, I, if I could, I would spend three hours a day BMXing in the, in the sunshine and, and doing jumps and, and all that stuff. That's my favorite thing to do with my body when I'm not playing guitar. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Love it. Awesome. So next time we record, because I really want to get Matt on at some point, we'll have to do a medley to uh, to sign you off. But just quickly before I ask the last question, which is the most important, the most important question of the podcast. Um, do you have any questions for me at all? Or do you have anything that you want to promote or announce? Uh, I pretty much shot everything out of there. Um, there. There's a movie being made about us by a couple of UK lads uh, called Weedus, You Might Die. Um, if the Vice documentary mm. was, uh, if from that you learned that there was a car, uh, the uh, Weedus You Might Die documentary is a feature length film, more than two hours long, where you'll get a look under the hood uh, at things that we have been reluctant to talk about and share forever. So, okay. um, yeah. Um, and uh that's uh that's the best i can say about it right now i'm really excited about that um yeah, yeah and uh and aside from that how long have you been doing this that's my question to you just over 16 months this started as a operation and an experiment for me to have a chat with some friends that i haven't spoken to since i left school it then very very quickly probably quite aggressively turned into I want to see how many people I can get on this podcast that mean something to me and inspire me and I've got the drummer of Devon Townsend on in May which is just beyond anything that I would ever think and obviously you know yourself like I, I can't believe that MC Lars came on and gave me a chance and that's really opened my world to why don't you just ask this guy and sort of um Man, I got to tell you, yeah, not to interrupt, just, but I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I thought it would have been much longer than 16 months. I, I didn't really, expect, I didn't expect yeah, that. I really love doing this, and I've got such a musical background, and I've got such a good way at asking questions. And, yeah, I've always just been around people putting gigs on and roadieing and just helping out at the door at gigs if someone needs to quickly pop to the toilet and stuff like that and um i'm quite a confident like i said earlier and confident individual and i was pretty much shitting myself before this to be completely honest with you because <laughs> i had to shower i had to 
feed myself i had to make sure the rats were tended to and <laughs> i've got real life running in parallel with this you know oh I mean? we all do mate I, I, I'm, I'm running upstairs in about five minutes to go yeah, yeah. you know my dog in the car and driving to the vet. Yeah. yeah it's gonna be so well that's that's wonderful man i, I love mean, it. you dove in head first that's crazy i love it i love doing this it's, it's one of yeah. my favorite things well, to do. i loved uh speaking to you and oh I yeah would, would love to do it again if you want some time. It's all good. Absolutely. All Let's good. do it. So when you come over to the UK, this is the last question. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find yourself in supermarkets buying something known as a meal deal? Not a meal deal. Okay. We go to supermarkets and we buy your snacks, which we never have on our shelves. Okay. Give me, give the me a weird, of those. The weird crisps and uh, yeah. sort of crisp-esque snacks that you have in bags yeah freeze-dried bags or whatever are so strange and weird to us pickle spice this um gummy tart that uh all this is like weird shit that we're like what even who even thought to put uh cajun pickle juice uh with prawn <laughs> into uh with prawn and egg yolk into a potato crisp and then spice it with bubblegum spice so i don't really what is this crap we have to try this so we do videos on our instagram where we oh yeah uh taste there we go the the uh panoply of uh bizarre snacks that you yeah. can find in the uh <laughs> asda or the or the yeah. uh Sainsbury's that's it and yep. yeah yeah you got it if someone's gone to the effort of throwing a load of shit at a dartboard and deciding to make that product out of what's on the dartboard the least you can do Brendan is try it right <laughs> much to my chagrin I am often the subject and I have to try things that I would say uh-uh to under all circumstances but here we are you there know we here go. we are yeah. I'll, I'll have to look out for those because I've, I've not seen any of them but I'm all about food reviews is that mm guy i interviewed a while back called blue van man and he just sits in his van eating mcdonald's ranting about how fucked the uk government is and i'm totally here for that on a i follow a, a guy named uh, uh, mark who's on twitter who does the almost yeah. the exact same thing except he's not eating he's reading the morning papers so yeah yeah he does that as well dave blue van man bless him awesome yeah. well i'm gonna let you crack on and tend to your dog it's been a genuine pleasure speaking to you and i Definitely really really same. appreciate it Cool. You want to make sure you secure your recording first. Absolutely. Right, yeah. Sign off. Yeah. Right. Take care, everyone. Speak to you soon. Thanks. Hello, guys. Just a quick little bonus segment for all of your audio-only needs. So I've got my son Casper with me, and he's got a couple of questions that he's going to ask me, and then he's going to answer them himself. So, what is the first question, Casper? Can you remember? What's your favourite robot? Yeah, favourite robot from films or TV shows or if you've been to a science museum or anything like that. So what is your favourite robot? Baymax. Baymax from Big Hero 6, yeah? I like Baymax. Nice. What do you like about him? He's funny. Yeah. And, well, he's chunky. He's a chubby boy, isn't he, Baymax? We like him. My favourite robot is Iron Man, even though that's not technically a full robot. But I love Tony Stark and I love his innovation. He cried. I cried at the end of Endgame, yeah. Let's, let's stop talking about that. Um, and I like, do you? Well, there we go. Um, and I like Optimus Prime as well. He's a cool robot. Um, if you had a robot, Casper, what two things would you put on your robot to make it yours? Big boy arms. Big boy arms. 
Okay. And legs. Okay, yep. Yeah. That have little bit tiny jetpack that goes home. That's a good idea, yeah. I thought you were just going to say arms and legs, because I was like, I think robots come with arms and legs. No. Um, mine would be bulletproof armour and the ability to learn things very, very quickly. So that if someone was like trying to fight you, you could learn their fighting moves quickly. That's what Baymax can do. Yeah. Yeah. Do I just basically want Baymax? Is that what I just said? No, he's not bulletproof though, is he? Yeah. Doesn't he get cut in Big Hero 6? His arm gets cut off. Yeah, it's like punctured. Yeah. He's got to put like, loads of sellotape on him, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Right, what's the last question? No, he dies. Does he? Well, he doesn't die. But I hope that... everyone that's listening has seen Big Hero 6. Yeah, I, f- I'm, I think his arm, he, all he has back is his arm and then, then Hero remakes him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So technically he did, but he didn't. Just quickly before we ask the last question, I want to know if people out there want to know if we should do a full episode together, me and Casper. Um, so, yes. Yeah, let me know, then we'll, we'll arrange that. I've it might have to be in segments, though, because uh, sitting down with Casper for an hour it's and not getting hard. distracted would be impossible because he's got a lot going on in his little head. So, yeah. Right, what's the last question, Casper? Let's wrap this up. Favourite movie? No, nope. not movie songs. You're getting there. You will be a podcaster one day like me. Favourite three songs at this moment in time. So what are your favourite three songs at the moment? Content by Bo Burnham. Okay, yep. Yeah. What was the other one? Um, Bryson? Yeah. What was that? Hey, what was that called? Hey, my name is Bryson. And who's that by? Hamanations on YouTube. Sunshine Lollipops. And who's that by? We don't know who that's by, do we? But it's on Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I don't know who it's made by, but I listen to it. So Casper's all about the movies and the songs. And I'm all about the words. I'm going to change one of mine, actually. (gasps) I'm going to pick my three are How Bad Can I Be? How bad? On the Lorax. We don't want to sing it, though. We might get copyright striked. Um, so yeah, watch, Lorax, how bad can I be? Um, and Up in Flames, Joe Satriani. Um, because that's just a tune, and occasionally my Bluetooth doesn't work in my car, so I have to resort to CD, and my CD is, is that love and space, and it's always a welcomed album in times of crisis. Just tell, um, tell me your last song. My last song? Because I've changed my first one... I'm going to have to pick, oh, Fleabag, Youngblood. Mm-hmm. I'm just a Fleabag. <laughs> that's it, that's all I'm going to say. Um, yeah, it's got a nice little guitar solo in it, you and it's just a, a catchy little bop. You might be watching this. Dom, if you are there, mate, then drop me a message on Instagram and we'll sort you out. We'll uh, get you on for an episode and send you some uh, sponsor stuff. But yeah, anything else from you, Casper, or are you happy? We've just done park run, haven't we? And I'm going to have to tell you to do your seatbelt on the podcast because you keep messing it up. Um, Yeah, anything you want to say to all of your fans? Because I'm sure you have a few fans. Um, Hello. Like and subscribe. Hi. Hi. You're not going to promote the podcast. You're just going to say hi. Bye. Bye. Okay, cool. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Bye. Bye.
Hey guys, got a new ad read for you. We've got Made Sure Wax Melts. So if you use the code BEDLAM20 at checkout, you will get 20% off. BEDLAM20 for 20% off. So the website for Made Sure is madesure.bigcartel.com. So wax melts to suit every mood, every emotion, every feeling. Currently gearing up for Halloween. So uh, yeah. Handmade wax melts. Get involved. Um, haven't had a bad bit of feedback yet. So there we go. Shout out to Hannah for uh, making the best wax melts in Dorset. Bar none. So made sure. It's Bedlam 20 for 20% off your entire order at checkout. Cheers.